In the summer of 1906, the Maritimes were captivated by a strange mystery when two young children disappeared in broad daylight from right in front of their own home. One big city reporter went to the small village called Cape Tormentine to personally investigate this strange disappearance. The more she learned about the case, the stranger it became, as she met a very unusual group of people, each of whom seemed to be hiding something. Nothing, as it turned out, was quite what it seemed in the mysterious disappearance of the Creamer children. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes with your host and author, Andrew McLean. The story was broken by an enigmatic reporter known only as the Special Correspondent. She was a reporter for the big city of St. John's Daily Telegraph newspaper, and is mostly enigmatic because the normal journalistic practice at the time was for reporters to not sign their names to articles they wrote, so we don't actually know who she was. The special correspondent wrote many long and in-depth articles about their investigation into the missing children, which were reprinted all over the Maritimes. Their unique and dramatic writing style, in which they jotted down their thoughts and observances about the characters in the small town, didn't so much as report on the investigation, but tried to solve the mystery by themselves. All of the following quotes and conversations in this are all taken directly from the Special Correspondent's series of newspaper articles published 116 years ago. The special correspondent rolled into the tiny village called Cape Tormentine on an overnight train in May of 1906. She was met by a fierce gale with strong northwesterly winds blowing in from the cold waters of the straits. She was there to investigate a bizarre mystery two children had seemingly disappeared off the face of the earth. Everything about the case was bizarre. Two children had just disappeared from their own front lawn when their parents were inside the house and had only turned their backs on the kids for 10 minutes. A large search had been conducted and there was no trace of them anywhere. She first visited Sheriff McQueen, the lone police officer in the area, who told her, There had been nothing suspicious about the children's disappearance. This was surprising. The children were Ollie and Ralph Creamer. Ollie was a five-year-old girl, while Ralph was about three years old. The special correspondent went to the farm owned by the Creamer family to investigate. It was a ramshackle and dilapidated series of shacks on the edge of a forest in a very rural area five miles outside of the village of Cape Tormentine, named Peacock Settlement. She wanted to talk to the children's father, John Creamer, 
but was told that after an hour searching in the woods for the children earlier that day, he became ill and had gone to his room and could not be woken up while the reporter was present. However, the special correspondent met the children's mother, 30-year-old Ruth Goodwin Creamer. She was pale and fair. She has known scant sleep since Sunday night. As she talked, she kept folding a strip of crimson cloth belonging to the pieces from which her baby boy's blouse was made, which he was wearing when he disappeared. It was Sunday around 5 o'clock when the children went over to the field to pick white violets. Geneva was with them. I watched the children from the window and didn't feel alarmed, for they never wandered far. It was all of an hour before I began to feel uneasy. Geneva had returned and didn't say anything to alarm us until we began to feel anxious. Geneva was the oldest child, a girl of about seven years, a bright, interesting-looking child who speaks without hesitation. She told me last she saw her sister and brother were together on the edge of the woods a short distance from the home with a 17-year-old neighbor named Russell Trenholm. Then, says the girl, Trenholm invited Ollie to help him look for the cows. She went to go home and turned around, and the last she saw was the children standing by Trenholm's side. The special correspondent next went up the road to the house next door, the Trenholm farm. Many siblings, at least 11 of them, lived there with their widowed mother, who was away at the time. Russell Trenholm was eating dinner, but invited the special correspondent in and freely told her his version of events. Russell Trenholm is an ordinary-looking farm boy. Large and slow-moving, he seems somewhat unconscious. I left home between 5 and half past 5 o'clock Sunday evening last. I was going for the cows. I went back to the house and up the fields until I was along the woods down towards the Creamer house. There I met Ollie and Ralph and Geneva Creamer. They were together not far from the back of the little brook by the house. They wanted to know what I was doing. I said I was looking for the cows. Ollie and Ralph wanted to know if they could help me find them. I told them they couldn't. I continued towards the woods, where there's a common snake fence in the field. They followed me. I saw Geneva lift Ralph over the fence, and then she and Ollie climbed over themselves. I told them they'd best go back and never mind looking for the cows. Geneva and Ollie came back over the fence again, and I lifted Ralph over the fence and placed him on the opposite side along his sister's. Then, I ran into the woods so they wouldn't be able to follow me. Russell's sister Belle chimed in, saying that she saw from her house's window her brother lifting Ralph over the fence. Russell Trenholm paused and shyly asked, I suppose people are thinking I killed them? The special correspondent articles were republished in nearly every newspaper across the province and an anxious mood seized New Brunswick. Over the next few weeks, newspapers were filled with a flood of stories reporting kidnapped children in big cities like Moncton and St. John. However, each of these missing children was soon found. Perhaps influenced by what they heard the adults around them discussing, the children in their bigger cities were reported to be making up stories and pretending to be kidnapped. Much to the special correspondent's surprise, 
When they found Sheriff McQueen again after the reports were first published, he was furious at the attention their articles were bringing to the case. The sheriff told them, Until the children are found, I can hardly see there is a basis for taking action. I do not deny there are interesting features, but this is a case where it is necessary to proceed with great caution. Everything depends on the children. Proof, or something closely resembling proof, is necessary before I would feel justified questioning any person. Due to the special correspondent's reporting and the public outcry, the government got involved. The province's attorney general sent a special magistrate to assist Sheriff McQueen, and a special train of some 200 militia soldiers were sent to scour the area looking for the missing children. The soldiers walked in straight lines with some four feet gaps between them, scouring the forest for any trace of those missing children. Meanwhile, the special correspondent went back to the Creamer house. Rambling around the yard was Mr. Creamer. He looked ill. He seemed utterly broken. His eyes were moist and his voice quivered. He looked like a man whose face had never been illuminated by a smile. With a gesture towards the forest, Mr. Creamer said, Some have told me that it's all for the best. We've been told that it's God's way, but it's hard to understand. When night comes on and I look towards the woods, believing that our little darlings are somewhere in there, it's maddening. The suspense is hard. Loitering along the side of the road was Geneva. Since the evening days before when she had picked white violets with her brother and sister, the days have been lonely for her. Ralph and Ollie were her constant companions. Russell Trenholm walked down the road. He was dressed in a suit far superior to what he had been wearing the day before. Newly appointed Special Magistrate Riley had called for him, but before, he said he was venturing to the train station where he could telephone his brother, who lived in Ontario. The Special Correspondent went inside and found Ruth Creamer, the children's mother. She had told her that the newly appointed magistrate that was assisting Sheriff McQueen had interrogated her earlier. The magistrate asked for the garments of the children, and I produced a number of soiled garments. He asked why I had not washed them, and I replied that I had heard that bloodhounds were to be employed, and if that were so, then they would need something that would give off a smell or a scent. If the clothes were washed, the child's smell would be gone. The magistrate said that fact clearly proved that the children were not kidnapped with my knowledge. She said all of this coldly, without even the slightest hint of emotion or feeling. Mrs. Creamer gave no outward sign of the sorrow which has unquestionably been hers. Her tranquil manner has caused in certain quarters some comment that her demeanor is the result of unconcern. When asked if she was aware of the talk, she only smiled wistfully, as if thinking that those who talked were incapable of fathoming the depths of her suffering. The special correspondent then decided to walk through the woods herself. After Russell Trenholm failed to find the cows, he had said that he went to his grandmother's house. The special correspondent noted that the walk to the grandmother's house took her 10 minutes. 
The special correspondent's reporting whipped readers all over the province into a frenzied hysteria, and people began coming to Cape Tormentine to try and participate in the search and to help solve the mystery. As the militia searched in the woods, they found an important clue. A single thread of red cloth three or four inches long. The special magistrate said that he compared it to a sample of Ralph's clothing, and there was no doubt that it was identical. Mrs. Creamer instantly denied that it was part of her lost son's clothing. The clue is a very important one, however, and had the effect of having the effort in the search renewed with greater vigor. A frazzled Sheriff McQueen tried to halt the influx of would-be sleuths coming from all over by asking that trains raise their fares to dissuade visitors. He told the special correspondent, These these people generally believe there has been a kidnapping, and there are hundreds eager to view the scene of the mystery and participate in the hunt. Perhaps the necessity of paying expenses will greatly reduce the number who might go. There was no motive for any crime that I could see, but this does not mean we are not taking further action. By that point, the disappearance had become a wider media spectacle that went by the nickname Babes in the Woods. Newspapers reached out to a clairvoyant to see if she could see where the kids were. The psychic claimed that the children were kidnapped by a rough-looking farmer-type man working alongside a big fat man. This psychic story made front-page news. The special correspondent thought that the description fit Russell Trenholm, and so she asked him his thoughts on what the clairvoyant had said. But that's silly! There's nothing to it! In the coming days, Newspapers around the province began to report that the children surely must be dead. And they said that just that bluntly. The militia continued searching, though, but began draining nearby ponds and marshes, searching for bodies. The special correspondent returned to the Creamer house again to talk to Ruth Creamer, whose strange behavior was causing comment in the little village of Cape Tormentine. Mrs. Creamer, how much truth is there to a certain rumor circulating around Cape Tormentine Station that the day before she disappeared, your little daughter Ollie had come to you complaining that a man had tried to act indecently with her? Mrs. Creamer froze, and for a long moment she hesitated. She glanced at her husband for a brief moment and said, It's the truth. Ollie did come to me with a complaint. What the poor little dear did say made me feel extremely uneasy. 20 days after the children had disappeared, as the Victoria Day long weekend was starting, and the special correspondent was preparing to go back to the city, she was surprised by a knock on her door. When she opened it, she found Sheriff McQueen and Special Magistrate Riley. They invited the special correspondent along with them to go to the Creamer and Trenholm houses to observe police interviews that they would be conducting. As they rode in the sheriff's horse-drawn wagon along the muddy roads, 
Sheriff McQueen updated the special correspondent on the investigation. I am without any reason for suspecting foul play. There was no motive for murder. Even if outrage had been the motive, there was not enough time for the accomplishment of such an object and the disposal of the bodies. Concerning the kidnapping theory, the attempt to get the children out of the neighborhood could not have been taken unnoticed. The wagon containing the special correspondent, the magistrate, and the sheriff rode past the Trenholm residence. Russell Trenholm was outside working. The sheriff called him over and said to follow the carriage to the Creamer residence with them. The boy from the first manifested uneasiness. For a lad who had never been beyond Port Algon and is totally unused to being questioned by a law officer, his embarrassment was natural. He has been forced by circumstances into a position which does not tend to increase one's self-possession. He approached the sheriff with a somewhat confused air and walked along the carriage as Sheriff McQueen asked him questions. What do you suppose happened anyway, Russell? He looked up from kicking loose turf with a surprised glance. I have no idea what really occurred, sir. Did you find the cows, Russell? No, sir. Do you often stop searching for the cows before you find them? Yes, sir. Well, only when they're hard to find, sir. You walked from the woods straight to your grandmother's, Russell? Yes, sir. And you got there when? Six o'clock. Your grandmother says you got there at seven o'clock. Russell Trenholm stared at Sheriff McQueen, speechless, but paying no attention to the sheriff, continued. Did you go to school? I did as far as the fifth grade, sir. Do you read bad books? Up to within a couple years ago, I read such books. Right then, we spotted Mr. Creamer, rambling around in front of his home. He looked in a bad way. He carried a shotgun and seemed fatigued and perplexed. Bareheaded and frail-looking, he tripped. Mr. Creamer, what is your opinion? I believe that some harm has come to Ollie and Ralph greater than what I first feared. What else can I believe? We've searched over and over and over. I know I'll never be too tired to search for them. Go on with the hunt! Go on with the hunt! Go on with the hunt! Mr. Creamer, people have told me that you're a drinking man, is that so? I won't deny it. Last Christmas I had a drink. Since then I've had a little. Are you a good provider, Mr. Creamer? I do the best I can. I'm not rich, but no one goes for want in my house. Ask anyone here! Have you been cruel, Mr. Creamer? Have you abused your wife and children? No, sir. Just ask them if I have. But sometimes, sometimes it's necessary to correct them. But it's for their own good. The carriage arrived at the Creamer house. Sheriff McQueen and Special Magistrate Riley went inside to talk to Ruth Creamer alone. They spoke at length and the special correspondent was left outside. The sheriff and the magistrate emerged and quickly departed, taking the special correspondent with them. Despite her best efforts to pry the nature of their private conversation with Ruth Creamer out of them, they remained tight-lipped. Shortly after, the search was called off. The special correspondent returned to St. John, 
and without their long and dramatic daily updates, interest in the mysterious disappearance of the Creamer children quickly waned. Within a short amount of time, the whole mysterious saga was forgotten. The seeming answer to what really happened to the disappearing Creamer children in the summer of 1906 came in a curious note in Michael McKenzie's 1984 book called Glimpses of the Past. This local author recounted the tale of an old man who came to the little village of Cape Tormentine decades after the event, telling a strange story. Some 60-odd years after the Creamer children disappeared, an old man drove to Cape Tormentine one summer and began asking random people the strangest questions. He wanted to know if anyone recognized him. He was wondering if anyone remembered a man named John Creamer. He said that that was his father. He said that while he'd been too young to remember it himself, his mother had told him that his father had been a violent and abusive alcoholic, and that she had sent her kids away from him for their safety. He recounted that as his father's abuse towards his mother and his siblings was escalating, his mother acted. When the father had passed out drunk one day, she had someone whisk him and his sister away through the woods so as not to be seen, and to meet her brother, who was waiting with a wagon on a nearby road. The two children were hidden under a load of hay on the wagon to avoid prying eyes in the tiny community where everyone knew everyone else. They were transported like this to the Cape Tormentine railway station. Their uncle then took the two children on the train to Toronto, where they lived with their mother's parents. The old man's mother had remained behind during the search in an attempt to try and distract the police from searching for the children at her parents' home in Toronto. But as soon as the search had ended, his mother and his older sister slipped away and joined them in Ontario. However, it didn't seem that anyone that the old man talked to in Cape Tormentine knew quite what the stranger who had come to their little town was talking about. It seemed that the mysterious disappearance of two children that summer, decades before, had been long forgotten. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.